Today on the show, we're in the familiar sands of Arrakis, but we're throwing dice, keeping track of damage, and making our own story in an Imperium chock full of dangers. Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV, and, well, today, board games. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today, oh man. Oh boy. We had the absolute honor, the pleasure, of chatting with the fine folks over at Modiphius Entertainment. That's right. They created the RPG, the Dune RPG called Dune Adventures in the Imperium, which is sort of like Dungeons and Dragons, but obviously way fucking cooler because it's Dune. Obviously. Yeah. Come on. (laughs) Hell yeah. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. And you know what? We were not the ones to reach out to Modiphius at all. Right. This connection was actually made for us through a listener. So we want to shout out Ori Kagan, who reached out to us and mentioned that he had worked recently with Modifius. He'd mentioned the podcast to them. And if we wanted, he can make that connect for us and we could get that interview. And so we did. So thank you, Ori, for jumping in and uh, opening this door for us to chat with Modifius. It was a lot of fun. Now, from Modifius, we were joined by Chris Birch and uh, Andrew Peregrine. And Chris is the founder of Modiphius. Andrew Peregrine is the uh, is the lead writer for this project and has worked on a number of other things for them. But in the interview that you're going to hear today, you'll have us, Chris and Andy, for the first chunk of the conversation. And then Chris had to step out and we uh, continued on with Andrew. That's right. And before we cut to that interview, Leo, we got to take care of one thing. Right. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. So let's talk spoilers for today's episode. Our conversation with Chris and with Andrew covered mainly the first book. So for today's episode, consider your spoiler warning for just the first book. If you've read Dune, then you're safe and you can go ahead and continue on with today's episode. Now, if you haven't already done so, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gamjabar. It is the best way to support the show and allows us to give this show the time and attention it demands. And of course, as always, we have to shout out our two Kwisatz Haderach level patrons. Yep. Case Aiken and Nate Hyde. Boy, these guys rolled D20s <laughs> Nat 20s. on their generosity yeah. rolls. <laughs> Or is it nat 20s? I Dude, they, they rolled d20s and they got nat 20s. It and they was got nuts. nat 20s. That's how RPG games work. You're right. So either way, 20s all around on their generosity scores. Thank you to Nate. Thank you to Case. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners who tune in every single week. <laughs> You'll be able to tell that Abu and I are avid <laughs> D&D fans, <laughs> RPG fans throughout this episode. You can email us at gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com if you've got 
other ideas for episodes, questions you'd like us to answer, hit us up there, gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, last bit of housekeeping, another great way to support the show and to look good while you do so is to check out our merch. We have a merch store at gamjabarshop.com. We got t-shirts, we got prints, and we got this cute little enamel pin. You're going to want it all. Indeed. Well, as we mentioned, our guest today that you're going to hear in just a few minutes is Modifius Entertainment. And to give you some background, they are a role-playing game and tabletop game publisher based out of London. And honestly, they've got a bonkers track record of just cool games. You know, they have a Skyrim adventure game. They've got a Cthulhu role-playing game. They've got Dune Adventures of the Imperium. They've got Kung Fu Panda. They've got Fallout. (laughs) It's nuts. (laughs) And when we found out we'd have a chance to talk to them, we prepared a conversation around the game. And then, of course, we had some kind of fun, pointed questions for Andrew that we got to in the latter half of the episode. Yeah, they're definitely as big do nerds as we are. So the conversation was a lot of fun. Yeah. One more thing I guess we should talk about, Leo, is Dune's messy canon. Yeah. Have <laughs> I you feel heard? like we have to talk about this all the time. Uh-huh. Have you heard about it? Have you heard about it? So to be 100% clear, as many of our listeners know, here on the podcast, we stick primarily to Frank's own words, the original six books, right. and the Dune Encyclopedia. The Modifius game, because they worked with the Herbert estate, takes into account all of Brian's works as well. That obviously differs from how we look at Dune lore on this podcast. Right. Okay. I think we've set the tone for the interview. We've explained who, what, where, when, and how. So now all we got to do is hit play. Before we get into the interview, we're going to take a short break. But don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be back with Andrew and Chris from Modifius right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone. Now, one final note before we start this interview. You'll notice that the audio quality is not up to our usual high standard. And there are a couple of logistical reasons for that. It was an international call. We're on Zoom. Not everyone had a mic. So we just wanted to let you know that audio quality is a bit rough. You might hear audio cut in and out a little bit, but the content of the interview itself is excellent. So we hope you enjoy. So um, like Leo said, we're going to do like a whole intro and outro to this episode separately. We wanted to use this time as much as possible with you. So let's just get right to the questions. Uh, First one is very easy. Chris, Andrew, tell us what Dune Adventures in the Imperium is. Well, it is it is everything. It is the most incredible, the most incredible game, and the most incredible adventures um, you could possibly have. Um, how long do you want to go on about how great the setting is? Because I could I could do this till doomsday. today. Um, if you want me to pick favourites for it, some of the things I love, the things that stand out, 
not just as a science fiction setting, but as a role-playing setting as well, is the level of far future. I mean, we are we are in a in a time for humanity beyond further away from us than we are from the pyramids. Um, 20, 30,000 years in the future, even in one of the early eras. Um, but what I also love is that mankind, or humanity rather, hasn't really changed that much. We're still being unpleasant to each other. We're still doing horrible things to each other. And I love that sort of shift that, you know, humanity is kind of the same. And then, of course, it has two things in it particularly that are very rare in science fiction, is that whilst it is a very highly technical uh, setting, you've got, you know, folding spaceships, all kinds of laser weapons and things, shields even, uh, almost invisible technology. It is so advanced. But at the same time, we haven't lost things like religion is still a very powerful force, which I always find a very interesting thing. It's usually sort of written out of a lot of science fiction things. Um, and of course, you've got the, I think, yeah, the no robots and no computers, uh, which is usually the basis of most science fiction. And to create a, a setting where you go, oh, no, no, no computers. So, no what? Uh, it, it's just it's just amazing how that works together. And those things just make it a, a unique setting. I've not seen the like of it anywhere else. And it just offers so many other opportunities for characters, adventure, and everything. Especially for a role-playing game where you get to play that role. Now, Chris, I wanted to ask, so Modiphius has worked with some like big IPs in the past, whether it's, I was looking at the list, right? Cthulhu was your first one with like, that's huge. And yeah. since then, it looks like you've tackled Skyrim, Dishonored for video game fans. That's huge. Kung Fu Panda, the board Amazing. game. Like for me that's personally, incredible. that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> we have huge Kung Fu Panda fans here on Tom Jabbar canonically. Uh, tell us about not not only maybe how those sorts of connections get made, like how do those projects end up on your doorstep, but specifically with the Herbert estate, like how did this begin for Modiphius? Um, I mean, I, I had a t-shirt company before called Joystick Junkies, and we did a lot of licensing of video games brands to make clothing. So I already knew the kind of hoops you have to jump through to get a big license. When I started Modiphius, uh, I, I, I knew this... Um, agent who represented uh various things and and she said to me oh you know would you be interested in mutant chronicles and i, I was like wow because that was like this really cool kind of gonzo crazy cool sci-fi setting from the 90s that was you know had bigger shoulder pads than games you know 40k and and was just mental and really fun and like this had this like diesel punk aesthetic and i was like yeah let's do it so that was like our first proper and so how did that how did that come about for doom did you approach them did they approach you so yeah the agent approached us said were we interested and um we kind of helped put a deal together where um battlefront got involved to do the the you know the rest of the tabletop games because it was too big for us we we were like look we'll just do the rpg and help out there and uh, and the rpg has obviously been big enough for us and that's our that's kind of been our speciality uh, except we also do miniature games now you know half the business is dedicated to war games now which um you know is a relatively new thing in the last three or four years but yeah so it, it you know again it, it came to us because we were a known quantity people knew we did beautiful looking books that we could probably, we were big enough to take it on. We were big enough 
to um, give it the kind of launch it needed uh, as a major, major sort of entertainment launch. I'm curious, what is actually both of your relationships with Doom? Were you fans before this contract came in or was this something you had to dive into once you knew you were going to work on this project? Oh, it's, no, I, I was a big fan beforehand. Um, but one of the reasons I'm working on it is because I wouldn't stop making Chris. <laughs> uh, but as soon as I heard you had the license, got, you've got Dune. Really? You've got Dune? I want it in. I want it now. <laughs> I don't, I don't, like, I'll, I'll, I'll write the back of the book and that'll be it. I don't care. Um, and then I ended up, they, you know, they needed someone to, to fill this role. And I was like, yes, please, please, God. <laughs> um yeah i mean it wasn't i was begging there were tears it really wasn't pretty um <laughs> and, uh, and but, he knows where uh, a few of the bodies are buried as well so <laughs> couldn't say no but yeah so i i I filled up with all of you know all of the, loads of the books and loved all the you know the films and the sci-fi series and everything um but uh i had it had always been something of a dream mind to work on something quite this big um, so it was also just, it's, it's very much a dream come true for me to work on not just Dune, but a really big license and a license that Modifius has really put its weight behind. Yeah. Chris, what about you? Were you a long time Dune fan? Um, well, I, so I read it back in the midst of time when I was a kid and I, I would help my grandfather on a bookstore, secondhand bookstore in Coventry, big city in England. And I would go there on Saturdays and I'd come home paid in bags, shopping bags full of books and comics. So uh, June was one of those amongst all the other greats. Um, so, you know, June was one of those books. And of course, I remember the movie, good old Sting. Can't, can't, um, <laughs> his performance, <laughs> uh, which was awesome. And um, and so, you know, I've I've always been a fan of, you know, I, I I kind of put June in that sort of science fantasy arena. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. But I, I always go for stuff that I love. I mean, I don't tend to, we don't tend to work on things that I, I don't particularly care about. And um, But I also think it's really important to bring, um, surround yourself with a team of people who, who care about it even more than you. So that's why, you know, we've got people like Andy on board and others who, really care about the world even more so so that's been great that's excellent and honestly you're totally right it's like i think there's a lot of gatekeeping in fandoms and to be like well you don't have all six books memorized or you don't have all the sequel <laughs> it's like it doesn't if you love the thing that's great then you put the people in place to make sure it's a quality thing yeah 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 and it's also they sort of almost come back to gatekeeping i remember we did i worked on a firefly role-playing game I was at a convention and somebody came up to the stand and said, oh, I'm interested in this, but you're going to hate me because I haven't seen any of the things. And I said, to him, I said, hey, you, I'm jealous of you. You've got a series and a movie to watch. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. who I, I would kill have a whole series of the movie. <laughs> you have all of them. My God, I yeah. wish you could do to, to see it in the first. No, please, if this helps you nudge towards it, you've got so much awesome stuff ahead of you and welcome mm -hmm. to the room. It's it's like, it. why? Yeah. I, I don't understand why anyone would want to keep anyone out of the stuff that we can share. It's just, it makes no sense to me. That's a really great point. I love that perspective. Think of all the books they have to read. Ah, oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, for Chris, uh, from a high level, kind of looking organizationally, 
as you were working with the Herbert Estate on this book series, uh, on this role playing game. Did uh, did working with Legendary differ in any significant ways from working with, say, DreamWorks for Kung, Kung Fu Panda or on the James Bond uh, property coming up? Was it different in any way? The same? No, I mean, most of them are the same in the at the beginning. They're wary because they don't know how much you know about the brand and and how much um, how authentic you're going to be. We always sell ourselves on being, you know, some of the more authentic role playing games of uh properties like this but at the beginning they they tend to be a bit wary and then after you've submitted you know a certain amount of content they gradually get get to understand that you know what you're doing and and that you care you care as much about it as they do and you know you know enough to do a good job uh so you know things get a bit easier yeah i mean this is the the thing a lot of uh, i think some people think that these big companies or when they have these huge licenses or big movies that it's some sort of soulless corporation and it's what it's more our discovery that the reason these people are trepidatious is not because it's so much about money but because they love these things too i mean these are the creators and the inventors of these incredible worlds and they don't just you know they love this and they want to make sure know that we love these things too well along those along those lines then andrew i'm curious working on the rpg being such a big fan did working within the constraints of the lore and the universe was that? Did that make it easier, or were there some significant challenges when trying to build this RPG around a universe that's so dense, lore-wise? In one sense, it's where we're lucky with Dune is we could do twenty thousand years worth of history in in half a galaxy and still not come close to the canon. Uh, <laughs> it is so vast. So if anything, the challenge here is to try and give an overview of this immense, detailed, cool setting, and yet still for people who don't know it. So because a lot of people might pick up a book, I mean, say we've got a 360-page book, a lot of people don't pull that off the shelf and go, oh, that looks scary. Yeah. And you, you get into the, you know, and you've got this huge movie by um, come out and that people think, oh, this is this too big? So one of our the main things we've had to try and do is not simplify it, obviously, because that's where, that's where the fun is, but try and present it in a, such a way that people can go, oh, I can get a handle on this now. I, I see where you're going. I see what the important parts are and then draw them into that world. So it's kind of like offering a hand to take people inside it. And once they start, walk, you know, and then let them walk around in it and see, you know, what sparks their imagination and sparks the potential for adventure. And that's, that's where we are so lucky with Dune, is it offers such a great, huge playground that we can do treat the canon with the respect it actually absolutely needs, but also give you so much extra adventure possibility as well, which is what makes it a great role-playing setting. Yeah. I was going to say, as Abu and I explore kind of third, like even secondary and tertiary characters, we keep accidentally pitching HBO miniseries <laughs> because there are so <laughs> many fantastic little stories that happen off page where you're like, I want to live with the smugglers for a few years. I want to be in one of those houses that's floating above the planet waiting to see what happens. So right. And in a lot of ways, Dune Adventures in the Imperium gives people that opportunity to be yeah. characters. I'll also say to your point, Chris, I have very subtly placed two of the collector's editions behind <laughs> me here. I will say that they are, I bought them, again, I, I personally haven't even played a role-playing game in years, 
But I was like, for the art, for the quality of this book, for just the beauty of the product and my love of Dune, of course, it's, it's incredible. Thank you. I mean, it's it's great. Uh, Timothy Chalamet loved them so much. He was putting them in the backgrounds of some of his interviews oh, on wow. the Press Pinkett tour. I think they didn't have a lot of merchandising around, but they they he he did an Instagram live post where he was raving about the book, which was amazing. Oh, cool! But it just shows if you make good stuff. I would have said that a different word then. If you make good <laughs> stuff, <laughs> um, that it you get noticed and then people love it and you 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 know you do well. So it's it's always I always recommend people just go that extra mile in what you create. Chris, I know you have to go before we lose you. One last question for you. I'm curious how involved the Herbert estate was. Like, were you able to ask Brian or Kevin to help you write some of these things, or was this primarily uh, your responsibility to handle the the details of the book itself? So, we we did synop- the synopses go to the estate via the agent and legendary, and then we get comment redline comments back from from them and then we do the based on that we write the actual chapters and then they go in and then they get red line comments back so he uh andy i think he they were quite detailed in some of their comments coming back um sometimes just correcting our spelling it felt like being at school again <laughs> but um you know the you know the estate are very fussy about certain things and you know it, it's a bit like it's a bit like Cthulhu mythos, which is very open, um, but there's a lot of people who think they know the facts about the June universe, and they're not true, you know. And so there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of of like ingrained um, learning that sometimes you've got to unlearn with writers and stuff. It's like, like just because you've read it in this other book doesn't mean it's true, you know. Does a concrete example of that come to mind just now? Well, the um, I know. So, for example, the, um, the the June Encyclopedia that is often banded around isn't isn't all canon. So, um, and it's you know, and it was because it was very old and uh, written some time ago, and it's not all technically correct. And so, it's just little things here and there you have to be a bit careful about, and and also just there's that kind of body of awareness that builds up. And so it's like everyone gets the rules of monopoly wrong because they don't actually read right, the rules. Right. Right. Um, and, and just people, yeah, but that's how you play. No, it's not how you play. And it's like, just there's those little things that people, and maybe they've picked it up from the movies. It's like, you know, uh, just tiny little details. Yeah. Yeah. I always have to remind myself that pugs don't exist in the first movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and this thing as well, they, they have be- also been able to answer some of our questions as well. I mean, we try we try to avoid doing that where we can because, of course, they're, they're not very, very busy. But they have been really great about answering questions where we'll look at something or one of writers will come up with, what's this or where does this work? Because there are some things in role-playing where we need to ask questions that haven't been necessary to ask in novels. I think it's right. famous right. Someone was looking at when, with a Star Wars license. Someone asked a, a big question about the Death Star: Where are the toilets? Because <laughs> it was like there are, there are logistical things you need to look at, and it's yeah, you, yeah. You write about that or put that in the film, but we might need to know things like the day to day life yeah. of of Arakeen or things because that's where our setting is, and um, and then things that might not be available to us to know yet. So we have an amazing advantage 
to be able to take those questions to you know literally to the estate and say can you just press this one and they've been really great at uh, replying to those and giving us some what's really nice definitive answers for some of the same let's talk about the art a little bit because i'm really curious how that came together and i don't know how much you were involved in that andrew but leo and i just flipping through the book are just blown away by the art it's so good I, don't, I have to say, actually, I'm probably the worst person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically in the same place as you. We've had, uh, we've just uh, changed our art director. We had Katya Thomas was our original art director, uh, and she's moved on some some awesome things. So we've got Ros, uh, Rothio Martin uh, has taken over that position now with some of our later books that are in production. But for all the, the writing we do, and I, I'd like to think because I'm part of that part, the writing is very good, but the it's that art gives that immediate window into the world. Right. And this is one of the one of the very lucky things uh, we've been able to do with the with the movie and uh, and legendary and the state is art can be very particularly bear in mind we were doing a lot of this before the movie even came out. Right. Oh, true. So we did have a sort of style guide with some images from the film that we were obviously couldn't show anyone in any way. I couldn't couldn't show my mother or my other half. Even. It's like, <laughs> no, no, the laptop is over here. Um, so sometimes seeing a movie come out feels like one big security breach. It's, it's the, but the uh, but it was as a fan, it was just amazing to see all this, some of this stuff. But we were given not the remit that we have to copy the movie. We were told that we would they would like us to do inspired by the movie, which has been the best of both worlds. It's been phenomenal. So we've had the option for if something isn't in the film, but we need to uh, illustrate that, then we've still been able to do that. And we've been able to put our own look to that, that we're going to carry on with in the game. And if they change it in the film or they come up with something that uh, that looks different, well, we carry on with our one because we are, a, you know, our artistic world is slightly different. But at the same time, you open a book and it looks a bit like the movie you've just seen. Yeah. Which is also important because you know a lot of people are going to get introduced to you with the movie because it's right. so yeah, have a long whole conversation about how good. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just enraptured. But the but it's also when people pull a Dune book off the shelf, they want to open it and see it look like the movie because they may well not have read the books and everything. Uh, that's their first introduction, and if it doesn't look the same, they're like, "Oh, I thought I got this. I just saw the film." So we can capture that style not only because it's just so good. Cool, but, uh, but we also had the option to, to put our own spin on things and take it in the direction, which is literally the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, okay, well, this conversation is basically only half over. We're going to get into some kind of fun stuff, uh, but first we're going to take a quick break. So stick around. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Let's continue our chat with Andrew from Odiphius Entertainment. Andrew, we're going to get into some more fun lore questions now. We got the work stuff out of the way. 
let's get geeky. Let's get geeky about Dune. Uh, I'm I'm curious as you have play tested the RPG and as you have played your own games, were there any fun original characters that came up? Because the game is built to allow players to design and build and mold their own character. They don't have to play as Duncan Idaho or they don't have to play as Princess Irulan. They can play as their own character in the universe. Were there any fun ones that came up during your playtesting? Oh, they've all been amazing. And what I loved seeing on the forums is people showing it, you know, sharing what house they've created and what enemies and things that they've done. Um, I mean, my own group, we had uh, we had a smaller group for things. Uh, and it was great, you know, to see a, a mixture of the two. We had a sort of military style character and a and an heir to the, the house character. And of course they batted heads all the time and things. Um, so yeah, it's been amazing because of course we get to see there's so much opportunity for what you can do and where you can go. Uh, I mean, for my money, I've always been a big fan of the Bene Gessera, but it's also been one of our things, one of the things I was very conscious of uh, in this game particularly, is that you've got these things like Swordmasters and Bene Gesserit and Mentats, but I didn't want the, for want of a better term, ordinary characters to get left behind. Because right. they get focused on, oh, I'm going to be one of these faction guys, I'm going to be a face dancer or a Sadakar or whatever, you know, these ones with cool powers. So we want to make sure that all the characters have the option to have cool powers and interesting things to do. And so we've got all these hordes of talents and things for people. So I'm always just that little bit more excited when someone's done a cool character that isn't one of the iconic ones because you go, oh, yeah, because that, that to me is the system working, uh, which is always gives you a bit not, nice extra glow to see that. I was going to say, I really liked in the core, core rule book, there's this great little passage that says, hey, listen, you don't have to feel pressure to have a balanced team. Like a fun adventure can come out of having five player characters who are all, all merchants. And like now they're in a situation where these like Arrakis merchants are having to go up against face dancers and Benny Gesserit. <laughs> and like, they're like, I just sell things, man. I don't know what to tell you. And that's that, that could be a really fun adventure. And even reading that little paragraph, I was like, oh, that would be fun. It would be fun to have four medics just trying their best because those are sometimes the most compelling stories, right? I mean, we've, we, we're moving into that with, and you'll see this in our Sand and Dust Arrakis yes. system. Yeah, yeah. Is the basic setup, and this will be the same throughout the game generally, is that you are the elite agents of a house. That is your general thing. Because also, it's so cool to make your own house up. I mean, this is what I love. If you have, you have similar things in, say, Game of Thrones, but there's only like five major houses and everyone serves those. So you're quite limited. In Dune, you can be, there's huge houses. And I also wanted to do this again where we didn't go, you all start at first level. If you want to be just a new house starting out, who just, you know, minor house, nobody's really heard of them. You've only just gained some power. and you That's brilliant. But also I wanted to let people go, you know what? You want to own five planets and be in the same room as the Harkonnen when it comes to right. who's in charge. Yeah. yeah, go for it, because Dune is huge. Dune is big. There's enough space for that. The problem is, the bigger you are, the more enemies you have. Yes. And the more people that you're going to get yourself into. <laughs> so with a nice balance there for that. So we're always, we're always going to base it around that. But we've also added, in as we get to go deeper into the lore, we've got extra campaign options and layers. 
So it's like like you were saying beforehand in the Arrakis book, we've got a whole section about if you want to play just smugglers on Dune, or there's another one with merchants on Dune. Right. To also try and inspire a few more adventure ideas, but also suggest to people you don't always have to do if Agents of a House isn't the style you wanted to do. If you want to play all Fremen or you want to be spice smugglers, here's the stuff to do that. Here's the toolbox to get you playing the game that you want to play. Because that's essentially what a lot of what we try and do with a role-playing game. Yeah. Um, right. Never really about, I mean, we offer you a starting point, but it's never really about telling you, you will play the game this way. And it is always the most wonderful as a game designer generally, when you see people going, going off and taking your work and going off into incredible flights with stuff and creating these amazing stories and amazing characters and all kinds of stuff. That that is wonderful. I mean, you see these sort of things. It's almost like if if you're a novelist, you might not be so happy that people are taking, you know, doing lots of fan fiction over your stuff. If you're a designer, it's completely the opposite. That's, that's, right. that's what you want people to be doing. Right. Yeah. You want to see what took it there or you did that, or oh you printed out those maps or those are amazing or oh that character they're fantastic and plus of course you see you get to see some of the enjoyment that people have firsthand people get excited you meet them at conventions you see them on the forums people saying oh wow i just had the greatest game ever that is amazing that is the best feeling well i was going to say so andrew you're the lead writer for this project right yeah and it sounds like you got to make some pretty big decisions regarding like what's in the core book, what's in kind of in, in this experience. There are familiar characters like Duncan and Paul and Leto and these other characters, and you can see their skill levels. <laughs> yeah. Like that, just as a as a nerd, I'm like, yes, I want to <laughs> know everyone's skill levels. Like that's so cool. Now I got to ask, as the lead writer, is that something you decided? Is that who? Who decided the skill metrics out of eight for these characters? That was honestly probably the hardest decision I had to make. Oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, we wanted to ask you about some of these characters and some of the the, the skill numbers that they ended up with. Um, oh, we, could, we could be arguing over this. Yeah, hours. I figured there were probably some arguments on the team as well about like where to rank some characters. Um, so if we can throw some names and numbers at you, we'd love for you to defend your decision here. Go wild. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> first and foremost, the first one that stuck out to us was Duncan Idaho only has six charm, but we know he's perhaps the most fuckable man in Dune. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking for myself, uh, I mean, it's it's Jason Momoa there, <laughs> but I'm not sure he's that cute in the, I mean, no disrespect to the actor, but in the stick. In the brief three seconds he's in the lynch <laughs> he's necessary. Um, I think in the um, in the sci-fi channel one, I think he might be a bit older. I can't remember what he, he might not even be in it. So, um, so yeah, I think that that one is one we have to come based on the movie. Yeah, uh, but um, but yeah, but there's only this is what is also nice with the stats in this. We only have quite a limited range. Yeah. Right. So the difference between one and two is actually reasonably great. And it's very, it's actually quite difficult to create. Some of these characters are so amazingly skilled that right. oh, we, can't, we can't just give them 10 in it. <laughs> right, right. I'm not necessarily a big fan of you must have every character must have their stats all balanced. Yeah. Right. But you do, what you do need, what well, I, I will always say, is you do need spotlight balance. Mm. And if there is a differential in power that is so great, 
characters will take to steal a spotlight. Yeah. So you don't you want to have a, a certain degree of things. So we have saved Ginad Swordmasters for a little bit later on down the line. They're already in, in process. Right. But they will be you can play things like high-level chome directors and all kinds of other very, very powerful characters. Well, speaking of balance, another character that we noticed who's kind of stacked is Count Fenring. Curious how you approached him. He's got like six and sevens across the board. Well, I mean, he is, I mean, and, and more so even in, in the Brian Herbert Kim J. Anderson books. Uh, he is terrifyingly <laughs> good at him. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I'll stand by those ones. He's an assassin. <laughs> I mean, he's a Where's that Tadarak? He's, he's like one step down from Paul and not a very big step either in some ways. So, you know what? I, I think I'll stand by those. <laughs> I mean, Frank literally put it in the first book. He could have killed Paul. He had all the faculties yeah. necessary to kill Paul and didn't yeah. because of their shared kind of brotherhood. Yeah. Well, thank you for indulging us. We uh, just wanted to grill you a little bit, but frankly speaking, you guys handled the characters really well and like flipping through them. I was like, yep, that's exactly what Stilgar should be. You know, a lot of them make sense. Yeah. And I should say for these, it's, that's also, again, as you come back to your foundation, uh, there's no reason you can't change them. There's, you know, it, it's like the, we have given you our version. So that if you go, oh, you know what? It would be cool if they ran into Lady Jessica in this game. Um, so I'm going to throw in, oh, I've got a stats. Let's do that now. Uh, but if you want to focus on on your own game and say you could all, I mean, a great game would be all handmaidens of Lady Jessica um, doing sort of Bene Gesserit things on Arrakis and stuff the back. That would be really cool. You might want to go, you know what? I'm going to take, I'm going to redo her stats. I'm going to give her a bit more. And as time goes on, we will have more abilities and, and things. Will, and you'll go, oh, actually, that ability we invented two source books later. We should actually give that to Duncan Idaho. Because as you see, he's got none of his Ginnad Swordmaster abilities. Yeah. yeah. So to wrap up, Andrew, you've given us a lot of your time. We wanted to end on some rapid fire questions. And we, we didn't share these questions with you because we want just your gut reaction. Don't think about them. Just answer. You cool with that? Okay. All righty. So first up, your favorite Dune book. The Dune Messiah. Um, no question. Lapsu. I love it as an epilogue to the, the, the massive events. And I also love the conspiracy the yeah. stuff. And again, it, Introduced the Talaxi. That they're one of my favorite things. I'm a big fan of Romulans and Star Trek. All the really manipulative, nasty, unpleasant, yeah. despicable. I'm all over that. So yeah. Um, Messiah is is absolutely definitely my favorite. Okay, good answer. How about favorite character? Go. Oh, Princess Irulan. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. No Would have been Jessica. Um, because she does amazing things, but I tend to be a big fan of the characters you don't know much about. So while she was rather painfully underused in the Lynch movie, uh, the sci-fi miniseries, I love that she became a sort of power broker. And I think she's been more used in some of the uh, things like uh, the Paul of Dune novel. She's got more of an active part because we're more seeing what she does. But thinking, yeah, someone who's basically written all the histories of Dune mm-hmm. and someone who's been almost traded in, in marriage, but she also trained to the Bene Gesserit. So she's part of the sisterhood. But what, what fingers and how she takes part in the conspiracy, but also is slightly apart from things as well. And there's so many interests. She's one of those characters. What inspires me with her 
is that there is so much we don't know about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. But yeah, it's, it's those unsung characters and the ones, the little ones that are always far more interesting because they've just got that. What were they all about? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's why I love Esmar Tuik. Like that's why I love the smuggling. I like the Tuiks. Like they're cool. Yeah, and you know, you only see so much. That's such a great answer. But let's narrow it down a bit, Andrew. Who's your favorite character with prescient abilities? Your favorite prescient being in Dune? Oh. Well, that, that narrows the field somewhat, but quite probably Edric, the, the okay. navigator. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Because um, again, I'm a big fan of the um, of the uh, of all the guild and all that stuff. It's fascinating. Um, okay. What about this favorite Gola? Oh, okay. Duncan Idaho, and then you say which one? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's so clear that you're such a huge fan, and in fact. Just to wrap up, there we talked earlier about how there really is no better time than now to be a Dune fan. You know, Dune is exploding in pop culture. I'm curious, are there things that you're looking forward to? Obviously, the part two of the movie and other things that are in production, but are there Dune adaptations that you hope we see? Oh, God, everything and all of it. I want more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, with Dune Messiah being my favorite book, I am desperately looking forward to have- that we get to see that. Um, fingers crossed that we do get to see more. I hope we don't end up with, uh, when it comes to the Chronicles of Narnia, um, this is a bit of a sidestep, but bear with me. Uh, <laughs> my favourite book in that series is The Magician's Nephew, because I love all the redone. But because they always want to get all the kids' ones done out in, in order, because the, the child actors grow up too yeah, quickly, right. Right. it's always the one that's treated as like, we'll do it last. And the franchises never last long enough to get to it. So I'm always frustrated when you see a new Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, that won't get to my favorite one. Okay. <laughs> so I'm really hope I love the sci-fi miniseries doing Dune series, and we've had that one in there. But yeah, just just more Dune. It's just all good. So I mean, and it's lovely to be in in a when something you're a big fan of has exploded and not just done a film that say people have gone, oh yeah, that was all right. Uh, right. they've wow you know critics have loved the new movie you know people who have not seen Dune before have loved the new movie and it's nice to be part of something that's got you know this big momentum to it and think yeah it's great everyone knows that's brilliant so just just more of it mm-hmm. really i mean we see big adaptations there are more and more games there's board games there's some yeah there's probably we're doing more role-playing things um i mean one sense i want to see more of our stuff coming out yeah um we've so much stuff to share we have got in process we've got about three or four accessory things coming out we've box set we've got our we've got about two or three there's one book in editing one book in writing no one book in layout one book in editing one book in writing at the moment so and then we've got another couple of things we've already agreed and then we'll be looking to to you know to get some more uh books agreed so we, we have got so much on the way Damn it, Andrew! My bank account can't take it. <laughs> I'm gonna buy everything. It's, I haven't even told Abu this, but I bought him some Sands of Arrakis dice, stop. one of the dice set. Wow! Uh, and I'm gonna give it to him at some point next time I see you, buddy. But the yeah, there's like I looking because you have Sands, uh, Sand and Dust is like a is like a, a an Arrakis based like expansion to the tool set book that's coming out soon. 
Well, it's already out in England, uh, but it hasn't got over to America quite yet. I think the distribution chain, the ship got to us first. And so we, we released um, We're trying, I think, a bit later to hold on to some things and release all at the same time. But I think all the pre-order people got their copies. And uh, what we've done with that, it comes back to what you're saying about the canon and how we create and how we make this world work when it's so vast. Uh, what I did was take a leaf out of the One Ring role-playing game, which, if you know, obviously, oh, cool. I do a lot of work with Cubicle 7 when they did that one. And they took the approach of going, we'll just do, in the basic book, they just had Mirkwood, the Misty Mountains, and the Shire. So if you're an elf, you're an elf from Mirkwood. If you're a dwarf, you're the dwarf of the Misty Mountains. And as they've expanded the game, They've added the Rivendell source book to let you do Noldor elves. They've added the, Mer the um, Lorien elves in another one. They've added different dwarves. In another Rohan warriors came out in their own source book. So we're gradually moving out from there. So we took the view that to start with, well, it's called Dune for a reason. So we start with Arrakis because there is so much going on. People say, oh, it's just sand. But there is so much stuff going on on that planet. So it's, it's that all that adventure is in there, you know, and there's Fremen, there's all kinds of so if you're if you're playing a Fremen, this is also the book you want because we go into all of the detail on that. Uh, and we'll be trying to expand all these other player accounts like the Bene Gesserit and all kinds of things um, as we go through the book. And gradually we'll be expanding out of that. So our next few episodes and books will then be taking off planet into new places and new arenas and things because if we give you the entire universe in the book, then you're gonna go, ah. Uh, what do we do with it? So Arrakis gives that focus. It's the planet you see in the movie. It's the planet you you see in the books most often. It's the easiest one to get hold of and go, right, I get a grip on this setting. That's amazing. I mean, talking to you has now got me thinking how many friends and family I can rope into a, into a game, you know? Like, how do I convince people to get into this, like, a hundred-hour campaign with me? Because uh, it's clear you're so passionate about it, about the about both Dune and about just RPG games in general. Yeah. It's it's these two worlds that you love so much, and it, that's been obvious just talking to you. No, I quite proudly geek out about these. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been super generous with your time, Andrew, and we don't want to take up much more. To wrap up, is there uh, anything you want to tell our audience, whether it's about Dune Imperium the game or just... Uh, any shout outs you want to give just to wrap up today? Well, as as before, I kind of got a big shout out to all of my team and, and Sam Webb, who's our head of role playing, who's been you know, an amazing backup by everything we've done. And um, you know, check out the stuff, check out the website, the forums. We've got our own Discord chat now. So there's loads of conversations going on about um, about all the Modiphius lines, so Star Trek, Conan, Infinity, uh, Acton Cthulhu coming out. I mean, it, it amazes me how much stuff um, Modiphius manages to produce. They've got a huge team and they do some amazing work. And, um, and yeah, keep an eye out for the Dune thing. We've got, you know, we've just released the pre order for the Imperial Edition, the amazing, amazing um, handmade copy. It's so rare I didn't get one. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. It'd usually these things I'd go, yeah, oh, I, I, I want a copy of all of those. Yeah. This one. No. Wow. Uh, but, yeah, Denis Villeneuve gets one. Hello. Yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> but that's the level you for me. Yeah, these things. Uh, but it's amazing, gorgeous. I just see one of those and go, oh, one. 
Um, and we've also got some more big news coming up. We've got a, a big podcast we're going to do where we're going to unveil the next product in the full detail, um, which is our Agents of June box set, which I think we've announced. And, um, and we have some more books and things on the way that uh, coming up. So, yeah, lots more new news on the way. Um, and lots of cool stuff. You know, we, we really we can't get it out past now, frankly. Not only for ourselves wanting to show you this cool stuff, but also to get the production out because it's been really popular and it's great to be able to supply um, this need that people got. I want more Dune. It's like, well, we are more than happy to provide. Um, and, uh, and of course, we'll be also supplementing with loads more PDF adventures as well. So there'll be, it's very important just to try and help people out with more adventures because the more we produce, the more it gives people a handle on what they can play in Dune and how they can get started. Uh, and once you've got going with it, you know, you're away. Yeah. Sort of That's amazing. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. This was an absolute treat. Absolutely. All right. Take, take care, care, guys. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew. Take care, bud. Have a look. Have a go. Have a go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that was our interview with the fine folks over at Modifius. You know, looking at that conversation, Abu. Uh, obviously, I think we both had a blast. Andy and Chris were both <laughs> really clearly comfortable on mic and yeah. awesome that they took that time. Looking back at the conversation, maybe what was something that kind of jumped out at you as particularly interesting as we kind of wrap up? You know, I liked overall that they were as big Dune nerds as we are. Oh, yeah. I remember you and I before when we were prepping for the interview weren't quite sure how nerdy to get, right? Like, yeah. was this just a job for these guys or are these guys like true hardcore Dune fans? Right. And it turns out it was the latter. Yeah. Which was fun. It made that conversation so easy, made that whole interview so much fun because we were all talking on the same level. And to answer your question, I think the thing that really stuck out to me from that conversation is when they talked about this idea of choice, like you and I, obviously aren't big D&D RPG gamers. I've played the occasional game over the years with friends, but I've never committed to like a campaign campaign. Right. And what I really enjoyed hearing was how this rule book, this RPG book that Modifius has created is not rules you must follow and memorize and adhere to. They're just guardrails. Right. The whole point of an RPG game, as Andrew explained to us, is to guide you loosely on an adventure and help you step into a world and a universe, but then the details in the story, that's up to you. You fill that part out, and you can make it as wacky as you want. Yeah. So that's the part that really stuck with me, was just how cognizant they were as game makers that we can't turn this into too much of an on-rails experience. Right, there has right. to be built-in flexibility for the player to really take this in directions and make it their own. Yeah. Like they were talking about this book, this core rule book is a tool, like a tool in the toolkit that people can use to craft their adventures. And tools aren't limiting. Like just because you have a hammer doesn't mean you have to use the hammer. <laughs> you know, I loved, I loved Andrew's responses to, you know, we were challenging him. We were like, you know, Duncan, Idaho, really six out of eight for mm -hmm. charm. <laughs> but he's right that like the numbers that you are given well those are just suggestions for maybe a snapshot in time and if you decide to run your campaign a little bit later in the timeline well maybe 
Paul's stats after living with the Fremen for two years have gone up. Yeah. And that's totally allowed. You can do anything you want. It's exactly, it's meant to be kind of a springboard. And I also really wanted, also really quickly wanted to say that Chris and Andrew were both passionate about this. I think there's that fear whenever I see an officially licensed game that it's just two faceless corporations that are like trying to like wring money out of the fans. But to see a passionate game maker who loves Dune and as Chris says, right, he only takes it if he's interested in it. Right. That's huge. And honestly, really put me at ease because I didn't have to feel like I was <laughs> gatekeeping or <laughs> testing. Do you deserve this honor? <laughs> no, it's just people passionate about Dune who are creating more opportunities for people to explore Dune in their own ways. It's so cool. Right. Well, Leah, what about you? Was there something from that interview that stuck out to you as well as we debrief here? So as we've covered way too much in this podcast, I have a degree in art <laughs> and it's working what? out great. It's and? working out. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> going to preempt that question every time. But of course, I bought the books almost exclusively for the art. And so obviously I was curious about the art and I loved the sort of insight that we honestly, I personally didn't expect Andy to get that in depth in talking about that process of, you know, seeing the lookbooks for the movie before the movie was out. Like, what a cool thing that is, that they were able to kind of craft the aesthetic of the game in conjunction with Legendary and Villeneuve and making sure that it looks like it's the same universe because this is going to be the thing that most people have most recently seen. Yeah. So fascinating. Because again, as Andy pointed out, having it a separate experience, this is not Villeneuve's Dune. This is a separate and equally cool and beautiful and vibrant and exciting looking like adventure. And I love the attention to detail and the art is just unbelievable. So that was really fun to hear about. And was one of the burning questions in my mind pretty much the whole time. Uh, but, you know, that's you and me, Abu. Those are the things that kind of jumped out to us. I would say, hey, if you're listening to this episode, what did you think about the conversation? What kind of follow-up questions did you have? Or what jumped out at you? We'd love to hear from you. Gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com or our Discord if you're one of our little patrons. That's right. Especially, I'd love to hear from sort of longtime veteran D&D oh, yeah. RPG gamers. Totally. Right? Like, we can't look at this book and analyze it critically from that perspective, from like a gameplay perspective. We can just come at it from a Dune lore fandom world. So I'd love to get some emails from listeners who got the book or have even played a few campaigns with friends. Yeah. Like, tell us, tell us about that. That would be awesome. And you're totally right, Leo, that... The conversation with Chris and Andrew was so much fun, and they have some announcements in the works, so keep an eye out on Modifius and some of the things they'll be releasing soon that are Dune-related, but I'm sure we'll have a conversation with them again in the future, so hit us up, dear listener. What should we ask them next time we talk to them, and what were your own campaigns and experiences like with yes. the book? Tell us your own campaigns. I am so thirsty <laughs> for campaign <laughs> details. Yeah. How many people did you bang? 
Tell me. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, thirsty in the sense like, tell us your thirstiest yes. campaigns. <laughs> Water is a precious resource. Make us sweat. Sleep your way to the top. Countrybarpodcast <laughs> <laughs> at gmail.com. Send us all your fan fiction, y'all. <laughs> that might be a dangerous thing to ask people to do. Oh, my God. Flooded with We're going to get fucking novels. Yeah. <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path. That's right. And before we get to that interview, as always, Leo. Right. Oh, hold on. My sister's making a milkshake. <laughs> something, something, milkshake song. Something, something. <laughs> milkshake song. <laughs>